for Marriage Getaway on April 12th to the 14th in Portland, Maine. For more information and to sign up, please visit lowellag.org events. In light of recent news, we feel it's important to highlight all of the safety precautions we take here at Lowell Assembly of God. As a parent and a leader of a ministry to minors, I am thankful for all the safety measures we have in place, such as quarry background checks on all leaders, child-only bathrooms, groups of three rule and no minor ever left alone with an adult, security cameras, and no one is allowed in children's areas without being quarry checked first. These strict guidelines are not taken lightly and are held as an utmost priority in our church. I want to remind you of all the ways we have to give here at Lowell AG. First, if you text Lowell AG to 77977, you will be directed to our online giving. The second is through our app, and the third is a tithe envelope in the pew in front of you. Please remember this verse as you give today. Found in Proverbs 11:25, A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. These have been your morning announcements. Enjoy the service. Good morning, Lowell AG. We're going to continue to worship the Lord uh, with our tithes and offerings. So if the ushers uh, would come forward. I'd like to introduce myself. My name is Dave Munley. I'm Stephen's dad. You guys know Stephen? I'm, I'm Stephen's dad. I want to read you a portion of scripture this morning. Uh, 2 Corinthians, one of the reasons 2 Corinthians was written by the Apostle Paul was to collect an offering. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, the Apostle Paul writes, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace, everybody say all grace, abound to you so that having all sufficiency, say all sufficiency, in all things, at all times, you may abound in every good work. Say every good work. That's what we're doing today. We are giving back to the Lord what he has sowed to us so that he may help us in every good work. Amen? Let's stand. Do we stand? That may be a new tradition. Let's stand. It's easier to give when you stand. I, I have found we have short arms sometimes, so let's stand. We're going to make it easier. I love our church. I love what God is doing here, and we just uh, in, invite the presence of the Lord in this part of the worship service. Lord Jesus, we love you. You are in control of all things. You hold all things together, and you are here even now watching over us, encouraging us. We thank you, Lord. Bless this offering. Let it do everything that you have appointed it to do. Thank you that you ask us to cooperate and participate in the kingdom of God, to help fund kingdom things so that your kingdom is expanded. We worship you. We adore you. Have your way in this service. We thank you for your favor. We thank you for your blessing. We thank you that you go before us. We thank you that you watch our back. And we thank you, oh God, that you are here. We thank you for the blessing of the Lord that you've placed upon this church. We thank you for the blessing of God that you placed upon our families. We thank you that you have us walk in the blessing and in the richness that is found in Christ Jesus. Bless this offering, we pray in Jesus' name. 
Amen and amen. God bless you this morning. picking up some of Juan's tendencies and bebopping. And uh, I couldn't help but go any further without bringing attention once again to Cademan. Coming up here as a young man, honoring God. No, Seriously, thank you so much, team. And uh, so blessed to have so many different people with so many different uh, gifts of music. And, and uh, it's just absolutely awesome. Some of you are kind of like, oh my goodness, what does he plan on doing today? Be afraid. Be afraid. Somehow between when I got up here and where I am now, there it is. I was like, where are my notes? Henceforth, from this day forward, no mu sheet music on the pulpit. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Welcome. I am so excited I get to announce this to you guys. I really am because Pastor Dylan messed up. He was supposed to announce this and I said, I'm grateful. He said, as long as you just add one piece of information that they have asked Pastor Dylan to be the godfather. Last night, Sienna and Matt gave birth to this beautiful baby and she is adorable and she is, I know, isn't she precious? 
And uh, I was ready to go. She gave birth at, she went into labor around 6.30 and she gave birth at around 11.30 and all you ladies who had 28 hours of labor are like, I hate you, you know. But she, uh, what a precious, precious little peanut, huh? It's Elena, do I have that right? Sort of, I don't know, there's like 10 names. Elena Rosa Martina Limos. And so uh, we look forward after service. I was ready to go right there and my wife in the wisdom of God said, give the girl a break. She just had a baby. She'll see us tomorrow. So we, uh, we held back there, but uh, we're going to be doing that. So uh, we're excited. And those of you that know and love them, they would love to hear from me on Facebook, text, and uh, certainly at the hospital if you're close enough to them for that. And certainly kids, uh, youth, they would love to see you, I'm sure, while they're there. So uh, that would be a joy for them. But so happy we've just expanded the church and uh we have just a another just another news of note an important one uh our annual business meeting is coming up in um a couple of weeks mid-march i believe it's the 16th it escapes me we've had it in the announcements on and off but it's been online encourage you to take a look at that and uh we have a list of uh the membership roster according to the constitution and bylaws and the condition for that and i believe that's out at the visitor center it might end it is and so if you uh have not uh you're kind of wondering am i a member am i not a member that's stated very clearly there in the constitution and bylaws of what the conditions are have you take a look at that and if you are not a member and you're saying i really would love to make this home make this church our home uh, we encourage you to start with next which pastor dylan teaches at nine o'clock every week in the back room, there are four classes, and it lays out very clearly uh, what that is to make church our home. Awesome. I'm excited to explain to you why Vance Campbell is dressed up like a prophet. I want to thank uh, uh, um, Ruben again for making another graphic for us here. And we are stepping into a series that we are going to drive on and off throughout the next year titled uh, The Original Spoken Word. You guys know the spoken word that's out there now, and I won't rap for you again. I did that last week, uh, even though I got skills in that area. Um, but these are the original spoken word where they throw down truth in powerful ways. And so we are going to look at the prophets. They are the least read, least preached portion of scripture. And usually what I find is, is that when people struggle with the discipline of God, it usually is a sign that they really are not navigating or are familiar with God as a father and as a covenant enforcer. And the prophets really bring this to light. So um, get ready. They definitely speak very direct. They're probably originally from New England. And, <laughs> and uh, they're coming our way. And... Uh, Pray with me as we enter in here to what God has for us. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you. Thank you for that precious little baby being born. Thank you for a wonderful time in your presence. Thank you for the opportunity to give and you building the kingdom through that. And Lord, thank you for your word. This is central to what we do. We want to hear the voice of God. So we give you permission to speak. Lord, whether we have been in ministry for decades or we are kind of just figuring out Jesus and church right from the beginning. You always have something to say. You always have something to refine. We give you permission. Speak to your church in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, we gave handouts as you were coming in. I'm sure the ushers can have those on hand. If you have not gotten one of those and you would like one of those placed in your hand, 
Um, give them about like 20 seconds to grab the stack, but if you lift your hand, they'll make their way to you. Just keep it up. They'll put that in your hand, and uh, they're going to grab the stack as we speak, I think. Uh, unless we're, we're, yeah, they're going, to, they're going to figure out where that is, I think. Are they? Yeah. All right, we'll work it out. I think there's like three left or something like that. But anyway, um, there are a lot of verses in here, and I'm not going to have time to unpack it. And it's really for you to kind of take a look at that devotionally throughout the week. But encourage you um, to dig here as we start the series on the prophets. And we're going to begin with the prophet Joel. And so as we begin here, let me bring your attention to the whole origin of where the prophet came from. Uh, if you go to Exodus chapter 20, and you don't have to turn there, I'm just going to mention it here. Exodus chapter 20 God is on Mount Sinai. The children of Israel have just been delivered from Egypt. The Lord is descended upon Mount Sinai in a cloud of fire. It's shaking, it's thundering, it's earthquakes. It's absolutely terrifying. And the people are hearing the voice of God shake the world. And they say to Moses this, they say, you speak to us and we'll listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. There's a verse, uh, a couple of verses in one of the Psalms, and which one it escapes me off the top of my mind, it's this, the voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord strips the forest bare. The voice of the Lord shatters the forest. The voice of the Lord twists the oaks. If God ever speaks to you with his voice of love, you'll melt, but if he touches your ear with his voice of wrath, you'll beg him never to touch your ear again. God's voice is powerful. And so Moses, they say to him, Moses, we need a filter. We'll listen to you, but you come to us and you share. And that began really the highlight of the office of the prophet. They are covenant enforcers. They hear from God and deliver to the people. They are the technicians when the system breaks down and the life needs an alignment or uh, everybody's ignoring something and God wants to point it out. They're the ones that show up and defibrillate the situation into the direction of what God wants. And there's a further explanation of that in Deuteronomy 18, if you take a look at that at a later time. But when you read, when you talk about prophets, prophecy and all that stuff, this huge portion of scripture which is uh, underpreached and underread and, and not really fully understood, you see two kinds of things going on. There are two words that are not found in scripture, but the concepts I want to lay out for you a prophet foretells the future, but they also foretell God's mind and God's word into situations in front of the people. There is a portion of what the prophets do that foretell into the future, but the problem with this is, is that sometimes we get so obsessed with the future meaning that we miss the present warning that God is trying to give us. Sometimes we read through, and uh, there was a that one of the things that the Pentecostal church, which we are a Pentecostal church within the Assemblies of God, uh, if I came across a book called The 100 Most Influential Moments in the Past 100 Years, and I'm reading World War I, D-Day, all of these different things, and then 
The Pentecostal movement is one of those things listed by Life Magazine as one of the most earth-shaking moments that hit history. And here's what it was. God poured out his spirit. God poured out his power. We, to date, regardless of what people would like you to think about Islam or like you to think about other world religions or atheism, Pentecostal, Pentecostal Christianity is the largest, fastest-growing force in the planet. You are not alone. And... Here's the thing is, is with that movement came a huge focus, not only on the outpouring of God's spirit, which is found in the book of Joel that we'll talk about next week, but also was an incredible focus that Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back to judge the earth in righteousness. Jesus is coming back and all men will give an account for what they've done, both in secret and in public. Jesus is coming back to take back the world that he died for. Jesus is coming back. And with that emphasis came a huge thrust in the direction of a type of theology called eschatology, end times. And everybody began to say, are these the last days? And it's, this is what Peter preached. The first Christian New Testament sermon was out of the book that we're going to take a look at, the book of Joel. And he says, this, listen, they are not drunk on wine as you suppose, but this is that spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. And he goes through and begins to describe things and, and explains all that and looks forward. And then there was this incredible emphasis of like, we're in the last days, we're in the last days. We, if we were in the last days when Peter preached this, that means we are in the last of the last days. Jesus is coming back physically to this world to take back what is his. To put an end to sin and sickness and disease, to wipe away every tear to judge the earth in righteousness. And the Bible says that in that day of the Lord, he does it and he judges the earth in a day. What took millennium for us to mess up, God will straighten out in a moment. That's like your dad when you were away and your mom said to you, either get it together or I'll tell your father when he gets home and when he gets here, he'll take care of everything. Yeah. Jesus is coming back. But here's the thing about end times and one particular scholar says it like this in Foretelling the Future. He says, uh, Stephen McKenzie, he's, a, he's an author and he wrote in How to Read the Bible. He says this, Christian readers typically misunderstand prophecy, meaning the prophetical books, in the Bible because they assume that its primary intent is to foretell the future. Now, there is a lot of focus on the future. In fact, Amos chapter 3, verse 7, God says this, I will not do anything without first warning my servants, the prophets. There was a season where the college that I used to work at, that some of the professors are here, we used to have a very close relationship with Times Square Church and Brooklyn Tabernacle. And I don't think to date I've ever heard anyone thunder prophetically like David Wilkerson ever did. It's like you could be the most mature Christian in the planet and you leave there and you'd be like, I need more God. I need more Jesus. I need to get my life right. Um, and this was a church that really focused very heavy on these books. But sometimes we misunderstand and we think that everything's talking about tomorrow and there is a truth to it. In fact, in Acts in the New Testament, to give you an example there, in Acts 21, 10 and 11, the Apostle Paul shows up, I believe it's at Ephesus, and there is a prophet that comes down and takes Paul's belt off of him, ties his hands and says, thus says the Lord to the owner of this belt, the owner of the belt when he goes to Jerusalem will be tied, he'll be handed over and killed. And Paul says goodbye and says... His will be done. But that prophet was predicting the future. And there is foretelling in scripture. But it's difficult when you focus so heavily on the future 
that you miss the present warning that God is trying to give. I'll never forget being out in the street sharing with a young man who is heavily addicted to drugs. His life was a train wreck and all of a sudden he wanted to talk about the book of Revelation and the end times and we were talking about that stuff and then all of a sudden when I moved from helicopters and Gog and Magog and the Valley of Armageddon and I started talking about God's revelation for his life and his sin and his addiction, it was, the conversation was over. Yeah, I'll talk about the future and God's revelation about how it's all going to be there but when it comes to God's revelation for the sin in my life, I'm not going to listen to it. Those are the prophets. And this is what they would do. They would foretell God's truth. These books, it's basically like they took their Bible of the, of the Pentateuch, of the Old Testament, of the law, the covenant of God, and they put their hand in there and they put their eye on the culture and they put their finger in the direction of God's people and anyone else that God told them. And they said, this is what God says. This is what's going on, and this is what needs to change in your life. They were the most direct human beings in the universe. And I often find when people struggle with the idea of God being a God of discipline, or the rebuke of God, or even when you talk about the judgment of God, I usually find that it's because they don't really have a full understanding of the prophet and the purpose that God has for them in the church even today in the day that we live in. They would forth tell and hold up God's truth. And they had authority, man. You look at Jeremiah, when God calls him, I'll never forget reading this verse and just God speaking deep to my heart. In Jeremiah, God says to him, Jeremiah, I have appointed you a prophet. He was not appointed by man. He was not voted in by a church. He was not uh, given his office by popular vote. Paul said it of himself. He said, Paul, an apostle by the will of God. God gives apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists. God is the one that gives those gifts to the church. But he says to Jeremiah, he says, I have appointed you a prophet. You will be my voice piece. And Jeremiah, you will, you will pluck up and you will plant. You will build up nations and you will tear them down by the authority of the power of my word that I give you. He was called the weeping prophet because he had such a heavy message to deliver to God's people that really the majority of them didn't want to hear. They're challenging. And in fact, we need to understand too that in, in the Bible, not only with the written prophet, uh, but with the spirit of God's word, 2 Peter 1.21 says this, and we're getting into this, by the way, on Wednesday nights. You need to get here. One of our Bible college professors that's a member, Ben Phillips, I thought I saw him walking around. He's actually, he teaches Bible classes and then walks in security and watches out for your kids. These are humble, godly people. And he's been opening up the book of 2 Peter in amazing ways. We've got to be getting near to this verse where it says this. In fact, it says this, that no prophecy came by the will of man but holy men and holy women, because there were both men prophets and women prophets, were carried along and they spoke as the Holy Spirit gave them the utterance or the power to do it. There's something different when you go up and you give your opinion, right? And you say, I'm just going to say it like it is, right? And then there's a difference between that and walking into a situation and says, this is what God has to say to the situation. And any of us that have ever heard somebody step out and do that, there's an authority when, when God is behind that, there's a power to that. And Jeremiah's words and Jeremiah's calling and these prophets' callings, they literally established nations and tore them down by the power of the preaching of God's word. 
These books will rip down things in your life that have been built up that God never intended, and they will pluck up things that you have allowed to be planted into your life that, that in the end will grow so big and out of control will ruin who you are and ruin what God wants you to be. And they will also plant in your soul deep an understanding of who God is that if all hell, heaven, and earth shakes around you, you will not be shaken because you know the God of the shaking. They were powerful. And they foretold, they spoke into the culture. What's interesting here is this, speaking about prophecy, speaking about the written prophecy of God, uh, also to when somebody is moved by God, by the Spirit of God, and the gift of prophecy speaking into a life. But let's keep it strongly here to speaking about the prophetic word. The Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 20, he gives us a warning. He says this to them, he says, 1 Thessalonians 5, 20, do not despise prophecy. Don't do it. When I say that, I don't mean don't, be, don't despise when somebody is saying, hey, the world's going to end and, you know, Black Hawk helicopters are going to fly. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about do not despise when God, through his prophetic word, comes into your culture and your situation and speaks into your sin and your your things in your life that need to change and God thunders against it and says this needs to go or there are going to be consequences. Don't despise, don't silence, don't reject that hard voice of God because sometimes God speaks very firm as a father. And in fact, what's interesting, that word that do not despise prophecy, the way that that's written in Greek, there's a handful of Greek speakers in here and we promise we never talk about original language unless it means something. There are different ways that you say no, right? When you have a baby, Sienna's probably in the hospital already learning that first word. Why is it that it's no, that the first word that our kids learn is no, right? She's in there, no, honey, no. When you've got toddlers, you're like, no, right? When you have teenagers, you are like, absolutely not. When you're married, you're like, uh-uh. <laughs> different, there are different ways of saying no, right? The way that this is written in the Greek language is the may negation, which means absolutely no way in a million years, not over my dead body, absolutely make sure that you do not despise the firm prophetic word of God. And literally that word to despise literally means to show an attitude and to treat it as if it has no worth or as if you disdain and despise it. And in fact, in the prophets of old, Isaiah chapter 30, verse 10, and Jeremiah eleven twenty one, they would preach and the people would say to them, please shut up. Stop talking to us. We don't want to hear it anymore. You know, it's amazing. <clears throat> I know that there is, sometimes perception is reality, and if we just walk around with a cloud over our head and we think the worst, we're going to experience the worst. And... That's just a, a fact of life. But there comes a point when we're way over the top and we're just like, let's just surround our lives with powerful truths of happiness and good. And, you know, it's like we all have like a whole uh, entourage of Tony Robinson's like speaking like, you can do it. Your great future is there. You'd be a millionaire. You're... And so in the Old Testament, there were two kings. There was a king in the north. Israel was divided and there was a king in the north and there was a king in the south by the name of Josiah. And they needed to come together for war against a common enemy. And he shows up. <laughs> and uh, 
the king's just looking to work his connections, but Josiah, the godly king of the south, says, hey, let's inquire of the Lord to see what God has to say. And so the guy whistles. I can't do it. Somebody do it for me. <whistles> Yo, do it one more time. That's awesome. There we go. All right. It's not in the Bible, by the way, but we just did it. He whistles, and all of a sudden, this whole entourage, stand up, this whole front row of teenagers, just stand to your feet. This whole, this whole group of prophets they come out right i want you all to just say positive things just random out loud you're wonderful you're great it's going to be happy yes yes it's totally you can sit thank you so much appreciate that he he brings in all these prophets and all they have to say is you're wonderful you're great everything's good it's going to happen you're going to win the battle blah 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 and the godly king of the south had enough wisdom to understand they weren't really genuine prophets and he said can we inquire of a prophet of the Lord? And then they bring in a prophet, and I want to say, if somebody's got the name of this prophet, I want to always say Micaiah, Micah, Mama. So he comes in, and the guy comes in, and you know what he does? He is so New England. He's sarcastic. He's like, you're great, you're wonderful, you're going to defeat everybody. And think about this pagan king's response to him. He says, how many times do I have to demand of you to tell me the truth in the Lord? Isn't it sad that that king supposedly surrounded his life with the voice of prophets, but he didn't believe any of them, and when it came to hearing the voice of God, he had to rebuke a genuine prophet to speak direct into his life. To me, that's a warning to us not to despise prophecy, not to surround your life with the voices that you agree with, but to allow the firm, direct, corrective voice of God always to have preeminence in our life. To say, you know what your problem is? Do you know what you need to change? Do you know what you're doing that I've, I can't bless? Don't despise prophecy. Now when we talk about the prophets and we talk about the books of the prophet, the prophets, we have a couple of divisions just to lay this out for us clearly here. You have... The major prophets and they're major because they write a lot that's what it is they're major because they have major writings you have isaiah jeremiah ezekiel and daniel major prophets and then you have 12 minor prophets not that their message is minor but they just kind of like got to the point a lot quicker and there are 12 of them all laid out we're going to begin with the the prophet of joel today and they're laid out that way, and they spoke in different times. Everything is kind of measured by Israel when it's a kingdom, Israel when it's dragged away and defeated in captivity, and then Israel when it tries to rebuild itself. You know, it's amazing. The nation of Israel is one of the few nations in the world that ever was destroyed, disbanded, and yet reformed as a nation. I want to say it was two, possibly three times of a reboot as a nation. And here, the prophets come in and they speak Sometimes to the north, sometimes to the south, sometimes to the neighbors, and sometimes to all of them at the same time. And in the book that we're looking at here, in the book of Joel, next week as we talk about the day of the Lord and we talk about the outpouring of God's spirit on all flesh, as we get there, I'll give you a broader outline, but in simple, all I want you for today to get is a simple outline is this, is that in the first half of Joel, God is calling the people to pray, and in the second half of Joel, God answers that prayer. Wouldn't it be awesome if we called out on God and said, oh God, please help that God would answer that prayer. God calls them to pray. 
and he answers the prayer. So if you'd pray with me one last time that God would be with us as we open up the book of Joel and begin our series on the prophets. Lord, prophets didn't speak of their own accord, but holy men spoke as they were carried by the Holy Spirit. And everything they said is written down for us, and it still is carried and delivered with the power and force that it had the first day it was spoken and written. Lord, we give you permission to thunder your word and to breeze your grace and to make us the people you're calling us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Read with me very hastily here as I go through the book of Joel, and I'm going to read chapter 1, verses 1 through 20. And just so you know what's going on here, a couple of things about Joel as we get ready. First of all, Joel, the first verse reads like this, the word of the Lord that, Joel, that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. That's it. Some prophets say when they preached, what king was king, um, what time they give us indicators of where they were speaking. None of this is in the book of Joel. And I could literally waste five hours with you of all the different theories of when and who and where. And yet never get to the heart of the matter of what God wants the book of Joel to speak to our lives. Other prophets will be able to frame those things. But this book, it's almost like you can't nail it down, but it's okay. Most evidence points back earlier to the beginning to before Israel going into captivity and their arguments in all directions and we're not going to engage any of those but I will say this that most of the prophets are written in chronological order and I just find it interesting that the Jewish people put it in the early part which is chances are it leans in that direction and that's as far as I'll get into the background of the book but that's all we have we can't determine much more and in simple the summary of that book is that Joel proclaims that the people of Judah should interpret the severe locust plague as a forerunner to the great and terrible day of the Lord, which will consume the pagan nations, but also the unfaithful Judah, unless the people repent. Here's what we're going to read in this book. There's an army of locusts that's sent into the country, but yet there's some language in there that makes it seem like it's not actual locusts, it's an actual army. Whether it was actual locusts, or an actual army, uh, is up for grabs. But there's huge problems. Because whether it's a physical army or a swarm of locusts, they eat everything. We live according to the grocery market. They lived according to the cycles of agriculture. If there was no rain, there was no crop. If there was no crop, there was no food. If you had no food, you died, and there was no grocery store to get it. So their problems would be like the equivalent of you and I losing our income, foreclosing on our home, having our car repossessed, having no access to anything to feed our family, to help our family, have no friends to help you, have no family members, all hope completely gone. That's the picture that he paints here with this book. And if I were to have a title for this message, it would simply be this. Do I have your attention now, or do I need to send another disaster? Do I have your attention, or do I need to send another disaster? Let me insert parenthetical thought here. It's very important. Let me just give you an idea. 
Bad things happen to good people. And bad things happen to bad people. Good things happen to good people. Good things happen to good to bad people as well. It's life. There is coming a day where no matter what you thought, no matter what you said, no matter what you did, where you will stand before God and God will weigh it. David looked out at the world and he said, why do the wicked prosper? Why is it that they have a never-ending resource and no problems? You know what? That may actually extend a person's entire lifetime. But there is coming a day where God says, I will judge the earth in righteousness. There are other times where things catch up to us in this life. In both ways, both in blessing, but also in difficulty. And if you're like me, you've experienced all ends of that. However, there are seasons and there are times where God sends circumstances into our life to get our attention, to realize we need to change because we're the problem. And God is not, this is the amazing thing. Is that Latika? Good to see you. This is the, sorry for that. <laughs> hey, how you doing? Good to see you. God has a way that he loves us too much to allow us to remain the way we are and he is not afraid to hurt me in order to help me. And this is one of those circumstances. Now, God is not the author of pain and sin and death and hurt, but sometimes he leverages it for his purposes and to get his message across. And this is one of those situations. Let's read. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethul. I'm realizing I'm reading in the NIV. Deal with it. Oh, wait, no, I have the ESV. But this is the Pew Bible, so I'm going to read in the ESV. Hear this, you elders. Give ear, all inhabitants of the land. Has such a thing happened in your days as in the days of your, or in the days of your fathers? Tell it, tell your children of it, and let your children tell their children and their children to another generation what the cutting locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. What the hopping locust left, the destroying locust has eaten. Listen to me, look at me real quick. He's not talking about different types of locusts, but it's almost like stages of a locust, from a larva to the end. And when they show up in a swarm, they destroy everything, kind of like children. <sighs> Sorry, I was having a flashback of my kids cleaning up after them. No, just kidding. We love our kids. Awake, you drunkards, and weep and wail, all you, who drink, all you drinkers of wine, because the sweet wine is cut off from your mouth. For a nation has come up against my land, powerful and beyond number. Its teeth are lion's teeth, and its fangs of a lioness. It has laid waste my vine and splintered my fig tree. It has stripped off the bark and thrown it down, and its branches are made white. Lament like a virgin wearing sackcloth for the bridegroom of her youth. The grain offering and the drink offering are cut off the house, uh, from the house of the Lord. The priests mourn. The ministers of the Lord. The fields are destroyed. The ground mourns because the grain is destroyed. The wine dries up. The oil languishes. Be ashamed, O tillers of the soil. Wail, O vine dressers, for the wheat and the barley. Because the harvest, the field has perished. The vine dries up. The fig tree languishes. Pomegranates, palms, and apples. And all the trees of the field are dried up. And gladness dries up from the 
the children of man. This is a pretty bleak, sad story. And then he switches right here in a call to prayer. Put on sackcloth and lament, O priests. Wail, O ministers of the altar. Go in. Pass the night in sackcloth, O ministers of my God. Because the grain offering and the drink offering are withheld from the house of your God. Consecrate a fast and call a solemn assembly. Gather the elders and the inhabitants of the land and the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Alas, for the day, the day of the Lord is near. And as destruction from the Almighty, it comes. Is not the food cut off before your, our eyes and joy and gladness the, from the house of our God. The seed shrivels under the clod. The storehouses are destroyed. Granaries are torn down and the grain dries up. How the beasts groan. The herds and cattle are perplexed because there is no pasture for them. Even the flock of the sheep suffer. To you, O Lord, I call for fire has devoured the pastures and the wilderness and flame has burned all the trees of the field. Even the beasts of the field plant for, uh, pant for you because the water brooks are dried up. Fire has devoured the pastures and the wilderness. God bless. Have a good day. It's quite a sermon, huh? Okay, you can all go home. See, not all messages are positive. But they are intended to produce positive results in our life if we'll yield to what God is saying. You know, it's interesting. If you look at the locust in verse 6 and in chapter 2, verse 25, it says this, For a nation has come against my land, powerful and beyond number, a great army which I have sent among you. This is where it kind of indicates it's probably an army, but it might not be. There might have been locusts that showed up. I'm not really sure, but it's not important. What, what is important is, is that this problem is sit so severe and so hard, there is absolutely no Anybody ever been in that place? You may be beyond hope, but you are never beyond Jesus. What's interesting about this man's name is that it literally means Yahweh is God. In other words, I don't care what anyone thinks. His parents looked at him and said, we don't care what anyone does. We don't care what anyone says. Like Joshua asked for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I don't care what anyone thinks. Yahweh is God. Yahweh is God. And I think sometimes God asks us, am I your God? Am I really your God? I've heard it said that you want to know what your God is, just look at what you give your time, your talent, and your treasure to, and it'll answer the question for you. Whatever you give your time, your treasure, and your talent to, that's worship. Are you a fan of Jesus, or are you following him? Are you, here's the incredible thing that I've come to realize is that in 21st century American Christianity and those of you from other countries, especially war-torn ones, you come to realize that Jesus didn't come to give you satisfaction in your life. He came and he gave you life so that you might satisfy his will. Now there is blessing and satisfaction that comes through that, but you do not, God does not exist to bring you comfort, joy, blessing, success, and satisfaction, although those things 
God does hold in store for those that are upright. And sometimes that is a part of our lot. But if that is the motivation for life, I want to have a nice house. I want to have a nice job. I want to have a nice retirement. I want to just, and that stuff can be swept away in a moment's notice. Or if you dedicate your life to live for those things, you find out at the end that that wasn't even the purpose of it. The purpose of life is, is that you realize that you are fearfully and wonderfully made and that you exist like Jesus did to say, oh Lord, I delight to do your will, not my will, thy will be done. And if you approach God as a God who exists to bring satisfaction to your life, you will miss the critical moments and difficult challenges that will require you to make the difficult choices to honor him first. He says, Yahweh's God, he is my God. And what's interesting about this passage here, there's one other thing that just kind of leapt off at me is this, and this is just, I don't want to get lost in this, but man, it is so important. Legacy versus legend. Listen to this. He says this. He says, hear this, you elders. He is addressing this to everybody who is an elder. In Judaism, if you were 30 years or older, you are an elder. If you are 50 or older, you are the ancient of days. And I'm with you on that, right? <laughs> Next week, we are going to have half of our congregation gone, but that's okay. <laughs> Man, tell me I'm old. Out of my face. Somebody... Ah, never mind. <laughs> Someone was teasing me recently, but I'm not going to tell you about what. All right. Give ear, you elders. He is dressing this to the wisdom of the generation. Why? Because they have seen a lot. They have experienced a lot. There is a lot of experience. There is a lot of people who have seen a lot happen in their history and walk with God, especially those where you have followed and walked in the way of the Lord for many, many decades. And they ask this question. He says, all you inhabitants of the land, you elders, has such a thing happened in your day or in the days of your fathers? He's saying, have you ever seen it this bad? I'll never forget. Uh, right now I have a staff. When I say the 80s, they say that's the decade I want to delete. See, nobody's laughing now, right? Huh, staff? Nobody's like. There was a day when everyone used to say, where were you when John F. Kennedy was shot? I couldn't remember. I was drooling in my crib. But if you ask me where I was on September 11th, I grew up outside of the city. I took that personal, but every American took that situation personal. I know exactly what I was doing, where I was. Raise your hand real quick if you're like, where were you when the people crashed in the towers? I mean, you're like all over this place. And there'll always be moments where it'll be bad. That was a difficult season in our history. But what's interesting is Joel is actually quoting the book of Deuteronomy from Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 30. And he says this, for the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. Ask from one end of heaven to the other whether such a great thing as this has ever happened or what or was heard of did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire he literally is quoting this passage from Deuteronomy but what's interesting is this in Deuteronomy he, uh, Moses is going off about all the great things that happened have you ever heard of a nation that has a God so near to them that as when these people do when they call on the Lord have you ever heard of a God who settled on a mountain and thundered and shook the earth and gave a commandment to the people have you ever heard of a God 
who through miraculous power and signs delivered a generation of people out of 400 years of bondage and slavery? Have you ever heard of a God who ushered them into a promise and a blessing from slavery and nothing to blessing and abundance? Who has ever heard of anything like that? And Joel is flipping it over and he's saying, have you ever heard of a situation as bad as this? Which means and and tells me that there is hope that no matter how bad it is in your life, no matter how difficult the situation may be, that God's true intention for your life is good, that he wants good to come from it, that he can turn around the worst of situations. This entire room is filled with people. For those of you that are checking out church from a distance or any of you that have been in church so long you're in cruise control and you think you know them and you don't. Let me tell you what, this building is filled with people who took guns to their head, who took hope to hopelessness and said, that's it, there's nothing left to live for, it's over. And then Jesus showed up in that difficult situation and turned it around and they are never the same and they are on fire for God and they love him and they have been blessed. I tell you what, for me, I look at my life, I feel like I stole 30 years. I look at my kids and I say, how in the world was I alive long enough for that to happen? God's been good to me. Has he been good to you? He's a good God. And what I'm trying to say is this. Joel might say that nobody has ever seen it this bad, but really the truth of the matter is at a moment's notice, for those of us that pursue God with all of our heart, God can flip that situation around where you can look at it and say, has it ever been this good? And God takes special joy in flipping those things back to back right next to each other to show that no matter how bad the situation is, he's a good God. He's a good God. But he's calling to the people of God to create legacy. He says to the elders, elders, tell it to your children. Tell their children to their children and have your children tell it to their children to tell it to their children. This, there are th- Listen, we have a responsibility. Hear me, those of you that are parents, those of you that are grandparents, those of you that are over the age of 30, those of you that are over the age of 20, we have an obligation not to just experience God, but to tell others about what we have seen and heard and experienced. Tell it to your children and to their children. You know what's amazing? In Judaism, they have some really powerful cultures. When kids turn 13, they are bar mitzvah, and girls, it's called bath mitzvah. And what they do is, is they take the scriptures and they wrap them around their arm and they put them in little boxes over their forehead and they go to, if you're in Jerusalem, to the Wailing Wall. And there, they are considered a man and a woman for the first time in their life. And the privilege and the marker for them doing that is that they get to read scripture publicly for the first time. No Jewish child is allowed to do this in public until they are bar mitzvah or bath mitzvah. Their passage, their whole breaking into manhood and womanhood is not defined by getting a job, getting a college education, getting married, having kids. It's the fact that it's surrounded around the entire word of God. That's something we need to capture from that culture. And in fact, that comes out of Deuteronomy chapter 6, and I I won't get wrapped up in it, but they say this, the Lord says this to Israel, in the land that you're going into, take these commandments, wrap them around, bind them around your arm, put them in the front light of your eyes. It was metaphoric. It wasn't meant to be taken literally. In other words, let God's word be a part of every conversation. He says, with your children, as you rise, as you sit, as you go out, as you come in, constantly talk about where God can be found in the situation. Make God's word central to your family, to your conversation. Not a seasoning of salt and pepper on top of it, but central to it. 
And then when the children of Israel passed the Jordan River, they piled up piles of stone like this, different places through land, whenever God did something. And it says in Joshua 4.21, and he said to the people of Israel, this is Joshua saying to the people, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, why do these stone, what do these stones mean? And you shall let your children know Israel passed the Jordan on dry ground. How many of you have ever seen miracles in your life? Raise your hand all across this room. Keep them up. How many of you have shared those miracles with your kids and your grandkids and your children's children? It's not enough to experience it. You have an obligation of legacy. Listen, the church will either go into legend or legacy based on us passing it on to one generation after the other. Otherwise, listen, let me tell you what. I'll never forget Deb Griffin, a friend of ours that was restricted to a wheelchair, and watched somebody, this is somebody I knew, it wasn't an urban legend, and watched her get up out of her wheelchair. I'll never forget praying for somebody and praying for them with stage four cancer all over their neck and them coming back the next week saying the MRI says I'm completely free and clear. God's done a miracle. Hold it, hold it, hold it. And here's the thing, and we celebrate that, right? But do we pass that on to the next generation? Because you know what they think of that? If you talk about it, if you don't talk about it and they hear about it elsewhere, they begin to say, oh, maybe it's just urban legend, right? We brag so much about revival in the former generation. What happened to your fire? Where did it go? What happened to the God of Elijah? Where is he? You can talk all you want, but you know what? Like, this is a notice to everybody over the age of 30. It's time that you step up to the plate and you start being the Christian that you talk about. And show a generation of young people that God is a God that heals, that God is a God that delivers, that God is a God that... that empowers otherwise it's just urban legend did you track me on that sweet and sour chicken this morning huh i'll never forget one of my great memories actually i have many memories of both of my boys and i am incredibly proud of both of them but andrew i'll never forget how when you were a little guy pepe your great grandfather used to always talk and he would talk about how he was in the Korean War. And when he lost his ability to speak, he gave my son a coin, a commemorative coin that was given to the, to the, to the um, people that participated, the veterans of that war. And when Pepe died, I'll never forget watching you, not from me encouraging you or anything. My son Andrew walked up to his coffin and put it on there and he had two of his other cousins right with him crying and they put their hand on that coin and they, why? Because he passed to them the honor of that legacy. And although that coin was buried with his grandfather, the honor of what it is is not lost with him. He carries that with him. How much more the things of God? How much more passing on from one generation to the next? Now, here's the interesting thing about this. Our message, again, is God saying to us, do I have your attention, or should I send another disaster? He sends a locust plague. He sends an army. Everything has gone south here. What's interesting in this passage is this, is that there's a certain word that the prophet uses that's pretty mind-blowing. He says to them that God cut off a whole bunch of things. I cut off the new wine. I cut off the grain. I cut off the apple, the pomegranate. I cut off the, the fruit of the field and the fruit of the tree. And 
If you read this in English, you won't catch this, but this is why we say if, it, if it's an original language, we only mention it if it means something. In the Hebrew word that's used here over and over again is karat, karat, karat. In the Old Testament, they would make a karat, which is a covenant. And the literal translation of that word means to cut. So some of you that were here last week when Pablo was here, he mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. But what they would do is, is they would take different animals. They would take, like here we've got a chicken. Okay. And they would take the chicken. And... I missed. Would you hold that still for me? There we go. They would cut a bird of the field in half. <laughs> Here's some beef. So they would take some beef and they would cut like a cow, right? Chop steak right here, Salisbury. And they would set all of these different animals separated. You freaking out over there? And then of course my son Andrew's favorite corn dogs. It's just what we had available to us for free, right? There we go. Oh, man, you guys are whining. Now, here's what would happen, and this is what happened in Genesis chapter 15 when God made a covenant with Abraham. He took a sheep, a goat, a cow, a live animal, cut it in half, separated the animals. I'm going to walk in front of this so I don't give you feedback. Sorry, guys, just warning. All right, and then what he would do is, uh, here, Jordan, come on, you'll work. All right. Awesome. Why is only part of your hair blonde, by the way? I just don't, I'm just kidding. All right, so check it out. They would, you would make a covenant with somebody and you'd say, hey, how you doing? We're going to have an agreement, right? This is what I'm going to do for you and this is what you're going to do for me and we're agreed on that. And then after the animals were cut, you'd walk through the middle together, right? This is literally a karah, a covenant, a cutting. And then they would stop and they'd turn back and they'd say, see those animals right there? Almost like the mob, like, that's what's going to happen to you if you don't keep this covenant. Let me tell you something. Thank you. Who needs lawyers when you've got an axe? I'm going to walk in front again one more time. Thank you, Julius. By the way, I want to thank the media team, like Julius and so many up there for making that happen, and the media team. Uh, thank you, your unsung heroes that make stuff happen all the time. Appreciate you. Listen to this in Leviticus chapter 26, verse 14. But if you will not listen to me, and will not do all the things that I command, if you will spurn my statutes, if your soul abhors my rules, so that you will not do all my commandments, but break my commandment, then I will do this. The trees of the land shall not yield their fruit. I'll bring a sword against you. I will send pestilence among you, and you shall be delivered into the hands of your enemies. I will break your supply of bread. So God said this to the people of Israel, I'm gonna be your God, I ask for your loyalty and your love and your commitment, and I want to bless you, but in order for this to work, I can't have you asking me to bless what you do. I need you to read my word and do what I can bless. Do you hear that? See, many people in the church world today are very disillusioned with God because they're asking God to bless what they do, and the whole time God's saying, if I'm going to bless what you do, you need to do what I can bless because I can't bless that mess. You have to do it this way. If you will do this, 
I will. If you will not do that. And he said this to them. He said, if you do not uphold my law, my commands. In other words, if you enter into a relationship with me, these are the conditions, right? How many of you got a woman? She said, let me tell you how it's going to work. If you're with me, you ain't looking at no other woman. <laughs> right? Just, just saying. There's conditions. This is normal, real life stuff. Like, we understand it, but then when all of a sudden the Bible talks about it, well, we're free, we're not under the law. You're right, you know, but, we're, but yet we are still obliged to uphold God's moral covenant in relationship with him. And when we deviate from that, God sends difficult situations and he says, do I have your attention now or should I send another disaster? And so what does God do? He says, that's it. You won't do it? I'm going to cut the bread. But here's the thing. He's not cutting it with a knife. He's slamming it. And he's making it worthless so nobody can have it. He says, then I'll do that. I will totally cut off the fruit of the tree. <laughs> Wait until the pear happens. This one's good. I will cut off the fruit of the vine. And so God comes in. We'll leave it. There it is. I just wanted to do that, that's all. <laughs> but think about it for a second. We always go through life and we're angry at God because like, oh, well, why aren't things going my way? Why am I always broke? Why is the bills going from bad to worse and worse to worse? It's not God's fault, it's your fault because you're not doing what he can bless. You're living your life and using God as a seasoning to your life instead of him being your life. And walking, listen, when you give your life to Christ, you walk into a covenant relationship with him and he says, this is what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to watch out for you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to care for you. I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to do that. But if, if you mess with the conditions of that, God's like, how can I help you if I give you a car to drive and you drive recklessly at 90 miles an hour in a snowstorm? That's just common sense. We always blame God, right, when things go wrong. We're like, if this is what it is to be a child of God, I want nothing to do with you. And, and I think heaven looks down. It's like, you are just so dumb. I didn't do this to you. You did it to yourself. But here's the beauty of Joel's message. Here's the beauty of it. Joel says this in Joel chapter 2, verse 25. If you turn this around, if you repent, if you humble yourself, I will restore to you, listen to this, the years that the locust has eaten. Have you ever had God give you a payback of blessing that took years and it comes in a moment? You can't buy that. You can't save that. You can't make that happen. Here's the crazy thing. Check this out. You'll do. Come on up here real quick. Right here. Yeah. Yeah, come on. It's awesome. These are pancakes with apple seasoning on them, I think, now. All right, try, try one of those pancakes, would you? Go ahead. Are you allergic to pancakes? No. Okay, all right, all right. All right, just on a scale one to 10, Linda Arcan, are you in here? Linda Arcan's right in the back right. Do you see her? Wave, why don't you stand and wave to her? You made these awesome pancakes, right? Yes, she did, and they're sweet. Just bite a pancake, and just real quick, on a scale one to 10, tell me how that tastes on one to 10. It's a good pancake? Do you give it a five, a seven, an eight? She's here, so you better be good, bud. She gives it a 10? 
All right, all right, awesome. Here, you can put that down there. All right, and then she also made these. This is a different type of pancake. Take one of those real quick, okay? Real quick on your market set. Bite it, chew it in front of everybody. Your market set and judge it. Go. Go, what are you waiting for? Come on. It's a pancake. What are you doing? She's looking at you. Do you want to keep that pancake and eat it on the pew? No, why? She doesn't. You know why? Because the second pancake, I asked Linda. You, you can see it, por favor. Mucho gracias. All right. She, she actually speaks Portuguese, correct? I don't, so I said that wrong? Or I said you Latino? What? What's the matter? All right. I'll give her a water. Here you go. Let me tell you what's wrong with these pancakes. The first one is Aunt Jemima. Mm. The second one... Instead of using water, we used vinegar. I it. You did? She sounds like she's suffering. Here, why do I do this? Why do I do that? Is, is, why do I say that? I say all that and I do all that to this poor young lady to tell you this. That God has ingredients for your life of what it is to really be a Christian. And if you make your own unilateral decisions to mix up the recipe any way you want and expect the right result. Heaven's looking at you like, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? I could have told you not to put that in there. I could have told you it doesn't, it just doesn't work. You want a blessed life? You need to do what God blesses. And it's worth it. It's worth it. And ask the worship team to come up as we close here. Very, very, this is the beauty of this entire story. That no matter how bad it got, no matter how bad it was, the prophet said this. Shay. He says this. Prophet says this. Have you ever seen it this bad? But he's saying that because he knows that the way that it originally was said have you ever seen it this good? Because he understands that God doesn't just come in and say, man, what a problem, you know, you made your bed, now sleep in it. No, God is the kind of God that can turn our situation around if we will re-engage him on his terms, according to his covenant, according to his ways. It said it like this in Deuteronomy 30, verses one through three. When all these signs shall come upon you, the blessing and the curse, which I have set before you, and you all to them which I have sent before you and you call this to mind and return to the Lord and obey his voice, God will restore the fortunes and have mercy on you. In fact, a very famous moment like this happened in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 35, and all of them are in that paper for you to read and I'd encourage you to read them later on this week. He said to them this, he said, listen, when things are going bad, when God sends the blight and the mildew and the locust and the armies and the enemies if you will turn your hands toward this temple and look towards that God and repent he'll restore and in fact the writer of Chronicles wrote it like this if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face turn from their wicked ways then 
and I will hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sin and I'll hear their land. One of the wickedest prophet kings, one of the wickedest kings in Israel's history, Manasseh, this man was so vile, he burnt his own child to get the help of a God, knowing that he was the son of a, of a great king. He should have known better. But yet, he pursued wickedness. He led the people into the worst, most perverse and horrible season in Israel's history. And God sent the enemy of the Assyrians and they came in and they used to have this tradition where they would put a hook through your jaw like a fish, dragged him off into Assyria. And the Bible says while he was there, he turned to God and he turned to heaven and he said, I've been an idiot. God, please forgive me. And the Bible says not only did heaven hear him and forgive him, but returned him to Jerusalem. See, although Joel tells us God is looking from heaven saying, do I have your attention or do I need to send another disaster? God understands that if we, his people, will not ask him to bless the things we do, but will align our lives and begin to do the things that God can bless. If we have trended in a very wicked direction, God knows at a moment's notice, he can flip it into a complete radical new difference. And you'll never be the same. This room is filled with people, mainlining heroin, prostituting themselves, ripping people off through Ponzi schemes, murder. I could go on and on. And those same people turned to heaven and said, oh God, forgive me. And they've never been the same since. Why? Because we realize what we did here last week, that Jesus drank the bitter cup of sin in Gethsemane so that we could drink the sweet cup of redemption and be forgiven. The sweet cup of redemption. And the prophet Joel looks at you and I this morning and asks his name. Is Yahweh really your God? Are you doing the things that God can bless? Or will you begin to do the thing, or will you begin to do the things that God can bless? Or are you just asking God to bless what you do? It'll never work any more than using vinegar for water and pancakes. He's trying to get your attention. He's cut things. And the only reason he's done that is because you cut a covenant with him and he's saying, hey, I'm calling you back to me. And I wonder if you're here this morning, like me, you're like, Lord, I just need to take you a little bit more seriously. I just need to take holiness a little bit more seriously in my life. Like my friend used to say, when God hurts you, it hurts so good. I wonder if we could stand across this room and we could take a moment. To pray and to invite Jesus to realign our lives. I wonder if everyone would just close their eyes and bow their head for a moment. If you're here, you know what? This week, there have been just different people that have been bopping in and out of this church saying, hey, I'm coming away. You've been here, you've just, it, it's amazing. You'd be surprised. We're engaging people and they have never even heard of Jesus. They have no idea what communion means. They don't understand what the, it blew my mind. But maybe you're here today and you're like, I really don't understand Christianity and all that stuff. I know that Jesus died and he took the sins of the worlds. And if we ask him to be Lord, like he'll 
forgive us of our sins. And maybe you, it's that simple for you today. You need a good starting point. You need a fresh start and a new beginning. That's called grace. It's a core value of our church. If you're here today and that's you and you'd say, I just, pastor, please pray for me that Jesus would be my Lord. I ask if you'd close your eyes, cross this room, bow your heads. And if that's you, I'd ask you just to quickly lift your hand. Quickly lift your hand. Thank you. I see your hand, your hand, your hand. People all over this room just lifted up their hands. Here's the second thing I'd ask. So we're still closing our eyes and bowing our heads. You're here and you say, Pastor, I wasn't paying attention, but I definitely don't need another disaster. I get what Joel is saying. I get what God is saying. And I really need God to just help me to begin to do the things that he can bless because he has clearly not been blessing what I've been doing. Please pray for me that God would help change my situation. If that's you, lift your hand. Thank you all over this room. We're not alone. And that's why God sent the prophets because they have an uncomfortable way of bringing our attention to what needs to change in our life. So I wonder if you pray this prayer and we'll do it as a group just here this morning. Not to set a trend, but just it would be easier this way. Dear Jesus, be Lord of my life. Forgive me of my sins. Jesus, help me to do what you bless rather than asking you to bless what I do. There's some things I need to stop doing. And there's some things I need to start doing. Give me your grace your love and your forgiveness to cheer me on as I change in the right ways. Be patient with me. It's not that I'm a hypocrite. I'm just weak. Father, you've heard the prayer of your people. And Lord, whether there are people that have invited you to be Lord of their life for the first time or they're like myself, you're trying to get our attention. We want you to know you have it. And we know that the original meaning of bringing our attention to the difficult situation was to bring it to the, how good the situation could be. Lord, I pray that you would leverage the circumstances of your people to blessing. We want you to know we haven't forgotten that you are our Lord and we are in covenant relationship with you. And Lord, you have never forgotten your end of the bargain. We want you to know we're going to give greater attention to ours. In Jesus' name, amen. You know what? If God did something in your life today, we would love to hear about it. These aren't just so that we can harvest your information, but if you just take a moment, there's a spot on the back that gives different things that, that's happened. But if you'd fill this out, give it to the visitor center or toss it in the 